especially good to have you here, especially when we're seeing so many people uh, that are going through and getting sick and going through that. Um, I just want to encourage you. You know, we've we've come off an incredible week, and and the last night of first week, uh, if you didn't know about first week, we're sorry, but you missed it. It was an incredible week of five different speakers that we bring in every year, and they just bring the word of God and truth, and it's life-changing. And Friday night, uh, Denny Duran, who is a hero in the faith, spoke. He's an incredible um, man of God, uh, just really felt like the Lord was saying that the church has abandoned, its, it's one of its primary principles, and that's the gathering. Because we've let fear prevent us from getting together. And, and a lot of that has to do with we, we, we're thinking more like the culture than we're thinking like the kingdom of God. Now, you're going to have to say amen if you agree with that this morning. It's going to be a little, I, I don't know if you were lulled to sleep or what, but it's, it's time to wake up. Amen. Because I believe like the Lord has brought us together for a reason, and I think we should use wisdom. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise, but we don't make our decisions based off of fear. We don't let fear rule the way we think. We're not like the world, so we don't think like the world. And, and they don't realize that because they're ignorant to why we're even here this morning. They're ignorant to the fact and the, why we would even gather together to talk about a man that lived 2,000 years ago. They're not aware of what he meant in their life. They, they've never experienced Christ, but we've experienced Christ. We believe in the cross, and we believe what the cross does. How many believe the cross redeems you of your sins, right? How many believe that if you were to die today, you're going to spend eternity in the new earth and, and that God is going to create for you? We're going to go to heaven, then he's going to create a new earth as it was meant to be, and he's going to place us in the new earth, just like Revelation says, and we're going to spend an eternity. Do you believe that? The same power that Christ paid for on the cross to do that is the same power to heal our bodies. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, and Satan is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you know Eve, when she was in the Garden of Eden, she didn't even know what sin was. She lived in a perfect place, a perfect temperature of 77.8 degrees. That should have been the loudest amen in the room, right? She didn't know what any of that, she walked with God every day. She knew he existed, but she was deceived by a serpent that convinced her that God was holding out on her. Why? Because the serpent got her alone and started talking to her and she was on a steady diet of deception and she began to change what she believed. Paul would say, who bewitched you, Eve? Who, who deceived you, Eve? If Eve, being perfect in a perfect place, could be deceived, how much easier is it for us to be deceived when we are literally isolated off of the group of people that God has put us in. Now, I, I'm not saying we should be foolish. I think if you're sick, 
you should stay home. Right? We'll pray for you that God will heal your body. And, and when I say sick, I mean if you got a lot of coughing and vomiting, especially vomiting, it just you could sit in the vomiting section of our sanctuary. Please don't come because I that to me the lake of fire is is unlimited vomiting. How many would say that would be eternal damnation? Right. The, the reality is, is, is yes, we, we pray, and I believe that God will heal your body. But you don't need to be breathing on me either. Now, I believe that, that God gives divine health, and, and there are times you can even breathe on, and it doesn't harm you. It says so in Acts, that no evil thing can touch you. I believe the supernatural power of that. What, I, what I'm saying is, is we don't subscribe to what the world's news is about stuff not everything, but though that stuff, that fear that they're trying to pour into us. Does this make sense? And it's so easy to do that with, when that's all you hear. Matthew 16, 18 says this. I will build my church. This is Jesus talking. I will build my church and, church and the gates of Haiti are not going to overcome it. The gates of hell are not going to overcome it. I'm going to build my church. He says, I'm going to do it. You know what the church is? It's not an individual. It's a group of people. It's every one of us together. And he says, I'm going to build my church, which means he's going to build it and bring us together. And, and when Denny was speaking on Friday night, I had told them, him when he, when he said that, I said, you know, I felt like the Lord has really put that on my heart for today, this morning. Next week is theme reveal, and we're going to reveal the theme for 2022. But I really feel like the enemy has been working in the church to try to isolate people off so he can deceive them and attack them, and you need one another. The church is more than the staff, pastoral staff. And it, 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 it's, a, it's a group of people that meet in a place that has meaning for their life. And there's been this deceptive message that you could still walk the great Christian life and not have a church body. That is deception and a lie. You need one another. You need the people in this room, whether you like it or not. And whether you like them or not. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. Well, the same spirit that gave, you know, God could have said that about you. But God likes you and loves you. And God wants you to love and to like the unlikable. To find something in them that you like. It's an incredible sign of God's love in you is you like people that many, some people don't like. It's important, this is important, that we get into vibrant, authentic, honest, life-giving discipleship relationships. I want to say it again. It is important that we get into vibrant, authentic, honest, honest, life-giving discipleship relationships. Why? Because there are so many people out there that we're in relationship with 
that literally bring death to our life. That when you're in their presence, you feel worse, you feel discouraged, you feel overwhelmed, you feel stressed out. And you need people in your life that even when you're in their presence, you feel alive, you feel encouraged, you feel lifted up. And we are called to be those kind of people in other people's lives. Light swallows up darkness. And when we're around life, there is something about it that just energizes us, right? And we are to be that kind of church. That when people come in here, the life in the room swallows up their discouragement, swallows up their disappointments, swallows up their stress. Because the body of Christ and the church of Christ is meeting in this place. This needs to be a place where it arrives. Where the presence of God is. You know, uh, we, we are small groups. We do small groups and we're really our structure and skeletons is small groups. If you're not in a small group, you should either be in one or start one. Just pick one. Either start one or be in one. And human nature would say, I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy to do that. Did, did they just say no? <laughs> oh, that's funny. The answer is yes. <laughs> you know, when you're chopping wood, it's I'm too busy to sharpen the axe. Well, there's nothing more discouraging than trying to cut wood with a dull axe. And some of us are living life thinking, I'm too busy to be in a small group, but you're discouraged by all the things you're facing in life that you're not overcoming. The systems of your life aren't working, as Johnny Jernigan said. If the systems of, if things aren't going well in life, you might want to take a look at your systems. If the systems of your life aren't working, maybe it's time that you go into a small group where you can be sharpened and maybe things in life will start going a little easier. See, the enemy is so good at trying to get us, oh, I don't want to go to a small group because human nature says then I'll have to be vulnerable. That's where relationships at. That's what you were created for. Do you really think you were created to do the job you were created to do? Your job is meant to sustain you. It's, it's fulfillment to the first mission to go therefore and, or, or to, to go forth and multiply and to actually invest. In, that's what we do in our job. But do you really think that was the purpose of all creation was to have a job? To do well at what you do? It's important to do well at what you do. But really at the end of your life, do you think that's going to be the thing that's going to cause you to think, I, I lived a fulfilling life? No, here's the reality is that all of this is really about the relationships you have with people. It's about the people around you. It's about getting to know people and connecting to people. You need vibrant, life-giving relationships. You need vibrant, life-giving relationships. Think about your life right now. How many vibrant, life-giving relationships do you have? And I know there are a number of new people in this room, and you don't know many other people in the room. Well, guess what? I get that it's uncomfortable, but you're never going to know anyone in this room until you step out of being uncomfortable and say, Hi, my name is James. 
and having a conversation and connecting with people around you. We, we have been called to that. We have been called to a relationship with people and to be vulnerable with people. A number of years ago, I, I got a call from someone in the city and they said, uh, they, they said to my secretary, does your pastor do counseling? She said, oh, yeah. And, and he goes, well, could I talk to him for a moment? And she said, sure, he's free. So you should put the call through. And, and uh, he said, can I come in to do counseling? I mean, sure. He told me a name. And, and uh, so we set up a time, and he, he came in. And I tried to find out who he was. and seen his name on any of the records or anything. And so I was curious. And he came in the office, and I said, hi, my name's James. He told me his name. And sat down, and I said, um, what service do you go to? And he, and he goes, well, I, I don't go to church here. And, and I'm like, I, I looked at it, and I didn't really know what to say, which is a rare occasion. I, I'm sitting there like, because if I say, then why are you here? It's like I didn't want to counsel, but I didn't have a problem counseling. It was just, it's just, but why would he come to me if he doesn't even know? Why would he even trust me to do that? And he saw it on my face as I'm going through that moment. You know what I'm talking about? And he says, oh, I understand. He said, it's just that my church is over here, and I can't tell them all my problems. I thought, why are you a part of that church? Why, why are you a part of any of that? We need relationships where we feel like we can talk about the ugly in our life. But the only way you're going to do that is if you have relationships where you know people aren't going to come and judge you because of what you're going through in your life. A place where you feel the ability to be transparent and open and it, rather than criticize you and attack you, they're going to put life into you so that you can overcome in life. You know, you know part of the problem is in, in the church today, uh, discipleship is so lacking and, and we have rested on this kind of discipleship. It's called inferred discipleship. It's called inferred discipleship. And, and what inferred discipleship is, is someone gives their life to Christ, invites Christ into their life, and then they come and sit in a room, and, and we, who are called by the name of Christ, have all been discipled in this manner, so we think that's how it was supposed to be. We've gone through generations of inferred discipleship that we think that's how it works, and we have been programmed to think in the church, survival of the fittest. And if you can make it, then you're in the kingdom of God. If you can't, well, sorry, you're dead. Go to hell. Go to hell. Man, I went to church Sunday and pastor was telling him to go to hell. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's what we do when we don't disciple people. Because we believe in inferred discipleship. And here's what it is. Inferred discipleship says if you sit in the room long enough, you will come to the conclusions you need to come to to answer your issues. And we teach them not to be a part of a life-giving conversation where they're able to grow. Here's an example. I, I, like, um, I like to shoot trap. I've wanted to shoot trap most, you know, most of my life, but I didn't have a, a gun to do it. And a number of years ago, I got uh, a shotgun to shoot trap. And just as a side note, if you decide to do that, make sure you keep the butt of the gun against your shoulder. 
a piece of advice you're going to love. Otherwise, you're going to turn colors in that part of your body or this part, whatever side you're on. Okay? A anyway, uh, so I, I wanted to learn to shoot traps. So I went on Groupon, and there was a, a Minneapolis gun club. There was a Groupon, and you could go shoot trap, and they gave you a meal. So I went down there, and I was going to do... I was going to learn how to shoot trap the way I didn't know anyone who did. No one told me they knew how to do it. So I just was going to go down there by myself, went down with my gun, walked in the building. And, and, I, and I'm pretty good at doing this, op observing the surroundings and trying to fit in. How many do that well? And, and you, tried to, you tried to fit in. So when the guy did it, I did it with the gun. I have no idea why I did half the stuff I did. I just tried to do whatever. And that's what people do when they come into the church. They observe the setting. They try to fit in because they don't want to be noticed. Somebody's in this room right now, and that's what they're doing. And, and, and I bought my round. I went out there. I missed about every bird. And a bird is an orange disc. They shoot through the air. You say pull. And, and I, I was like, just make me the last one. And so when somebody did something, I watched what they did, and I tried to emulate what they did so I didn't look stupid, except they hit it, and I didn't. Right? So I knew I needed to learn. So what I did is I went into the, the building, and I got, it's a great hamburger, by the way. And get a great hamburger and fries, and, and I went into the room where you're not, I don't think you're supposed, and I sat at the table next to all the old guys that looked like they shot trap. I didn't know who they were, but they dressed like it. <laughs> and you just look. Whenever you shoot trap, you look for the crouchy guys that just sit there and then and they're, and they're playing some game on the table and they're talking about what barrel they shoot out of. And, and I'm thinking, okay, I gotta remember, shoot bottom barrel. I gotta, you know, and one guy's, I don't know, I like the top barrel. Okay, he likes it, but, but most of them said the bottom, so I shoot out of the bottom because five out of the six guys like the bottom barrel <laughs> over under a gun, right? I'm, I'm getting to a point here. Are you teaching us trap or what? So I went out, I listened, and, and I came back, and it was terrible again. I maybe hit one or two more. And so I went back in, and I listened more, and you would hear them talk. And I sat there slow to eat the burger, pretended I was watching the TV, and I was really eavesdropping on these guys. It wasn't until a few times later that I got out there, some guy came up and he says, I've seen you out here a few times. You're really doing everything wrong. And I'm like, well, could you help me? And he goes, yeah. And so he watched me, and then I'd ask him a question. He'd answer the question, and then he would show me for him. Showed me how to stand. And he said, and now I can shoot. I've never got a 25, but I've been at 24, 23, in the 20s almost every time. You get 25 birds, and I'll shoot, which is fairly good. You, you, I should be hitting 25. Why? Because I had somebody who didn't do inferred discipleship. They did interactive discipleship. You see, there are many people, you've been in here, and this is what happens. You believe that you're, you're a strong believer because you behave well, because you work really hard, and, and so you hide the things you do that you don't do well, because you think in everybody acts a certain way, so if I'm going to be good at this church thing, i got to act a certain way. i got to behave a certain way. And you needed interactive discipleship, literally, where when you discover someone says, you know, what your problem is, is you're trying to behave rather than pursue Christ, and it's out of relationship with Christ that everything else happens.
The reason these people love the way they love isn't because they try harder. It's because they pursue Christ more passionately. And it's out of that relationship that everything else flows. Is this making sense? Discipleship is helping people who are new in the journey understand most important, because it looks close. It's close, but you're way off. You're close, but you're far miles away until you really understand. And people need to understand what, what, what is going on. So there are people in this room. That's where relationships bring people into this room, every person in this room. And there's conversations and Q&A and how did you raise your kids? And when they did this, what did you do? And did that work out or did it not work out? We don't just watch and, and then try hard. We have relationships with one another. We live life together. And it doesn't matter if you're extroverted or introverted. You were created for relationships. That's the goal. That's the goal of life. And what I'm seeing more and more in these days, and there's nothing wrong with this to a point, I'm seeing more and more apparent literally abandoning relationships from the outside and only going to their family. They're only spending time with their kids or only spending time with their parents and they're not going outside those boundaries to meet people that aren't in this, this, this natural family. And there's some, some of you in here are saying, Pastor, just shut up right now. I like that world. If you're doing that to your children, you are stunting their growth and maturity. They need people. They need friendships outside of your, 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 just your home. Ecclesiastes says this, there was a man all alone. It's an interesting thing because the CDC in 2020, the CDC statistics in 2020 uh, said that one out of four adults under 30 have considered suicide. One out of four. That's just the people who have admitted it, who have considered suicide. One out of 10, the whole population in 2020 have considered suicide. You know what was even, even worse? Uh, there's a Japanese article that referred back to the October, October of 2020 in J Japan. October of 2020 in Japan. More people committed suicide in Japan in October of 2020 than COVID-19 took the lives of for the entire year. The number one health crisis in the world today is not the pandemic. It is loneliness, depression, and anxiety. And when you get separated from people, you're going to feel loneliness, you're going to feel anxiety, and you're going to experience depression. Because you weren't created to be isolated. Two are better. It goes on and says, there, uh, he, he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. People pursued wealth and they pursued uh, position and they pursued their ambition to accomplish all of these things in life only to find out it really had no meaning. I mean, think about all the things we do. Our businesses have literally manipulated us to sell our lives off to serve their purpose. For what? As soon as they can't afford you, you're gone. As soon as they're done, 
They'll sell off their business in a heartbeat to make a dollar. And who will you be in that moment? And you've sold off all your passion for it. You know, last week we talked about passion. And, and if you're on the PowerPoint, I, I'm going to have you go back uh, to this. Because our greatest passion, our greatest passions, we, we will serve what we're passionate about the most. Our greatest passions order our time and schedule. What you're passionate about the most, you will arrange your calendar around what you're passionate the most about. You really were. So if you're passionate about being in the presence of God, being with the people of God, you will arrange your schedule to make that happen. If you're passionate about football or sporting events, you will arrange your schedule around those sporting events. If you're passionate about theater or food, you arrange your schedule. If you're passionate about your grandkids or kids, you arrange whatever you're most passionate about takes precedent in your calendar. It is the thing that controls all of it. And, and the reality is, in this new year, we really do what we wish we could do. Boy, I wish I, I wish I, I, I wish I'd lose weight. If you really wished you'd lose weight, you would lose weight. Because we do what we want to do. We say, I wish I prayed more. I wish I would eat less. I wish I would do this more. Because we feel bad that we don't, but we really don't want to. That's why God says, in order for you to change, I have to change your heart. I change the want to of your heart, and it naturally changes in your life. What we need is God to change the desires of our heart, change our passions. And what that comes back to is if we're passionate about people, that it's because God has put a passion in our heart for the people around us. And when you have a passion for people around you, even the people that you would not normally like, you like because you're passionate about them. Right? So, so think of one person in your life right now that you don't like. Okay? Some of you are smiling. Uh, okay, let me rephrase this. Think of one person in your life that you have never been in a place to not like. Because you may have come this morning to church and right now you don't like your spouse. I'm not talking about them. Okay, I'm talking about someone that you just, across the board, just don't like. Okay, now, are you thinking what? And don't give me that self-righteous, I like everybody, because there's somebody you don't like, right? Okay, and the Holy Spirit's probably revealed it in your heart. There's one. Now, raise your finger if you got somebody that you don't like. Raise your finger. Everybody, when you get that name, how many got a face? Raise your hand, your finger, okay? Just raise your finger. You're not, some of you aren't raising your finger. We're going to sit here all morning until, until you raise your finger, to say, yeah, there's a, okay, okay, now, okay, you ready? Ready? Okay, leave that finger. Say, Lord, my finger represents you know who. Prove to me that I can like them. Prove it. You know why we prayed that prayer? Because it's the will of God for you to like them. He's going to do something. Father, I pray right now in a supernatural way that you would 
release into their heart the ability to like someone they did not like. You ready for that? Are you ready for that? Look at this in, in 1980 and in the 90s, or yeah, 80s and 90s, there was a television show. And it, was, it revolved around a bar. How many know which one it is? Okay. And, and what was it called? Uh, all right. See, I didn't even need to tell you the name because you know what it was. And, and they went to this bar because there was community there, right? And their theme song said this. Watch. Look at this theme song. Look at this theme song. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. How many would say, yeah, that sounds like right now it takes everything you got, right? Look at this. Taking a break from all your worries. How many would agree? Right? Wouldn't you like to get away? It's like a Southwest commercial. Right? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and... They're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go. That should have been the theme song of the church. Because it's what people want. Like you, well, they used it for cheers. We can't. Do you just stop for a moment? And recognize the reason people run to places like that is because people know their name. It's a place where they can take. What do you think the church is called to be? That's why Jesus said, forsake not the gathering of the brethren as some have done. Because we need to be a place where everybody knows your name. Where people are glad you came. Where you can say, you know what? We're kind of going through the same thing you're going through. Really? You are too? And you get to walk together in it. And everybody knows who you are. And they accept you the way you are. So that you guys can grow together. That's what, that's what God's calling us to. But what's happened so often is we're so selfish and we want everyone else to do that for me, but I am never that for anyone else. Look at this verse in Romans. Look at this verse. It says, since we are all one body in Christ, we, say this word with me, to, if I told you I, that truck out in the parking lot belongs to me, what would you say? You own it. Right? That's what the bank thinks when they send me the payment. You own it, so you got to buy it. You're buying it right now, right? Here's the reality. That verse there says that you belong to me and I belong to you. It means you own me and I own you. I own your problems. 
I own the things you're walking through, the difficult seasons of your life, and I own your victories, and you own mine. We're in this together. I have a responsibility for what you're going through, and you have a responsibility for what I'm going through. That I have a responsibility to pray for you, and you have one to pray for me. That we stand together. That's what belonging is about. And you can't stand together if you don't like each other or love one another. And you're not going to like each other and love together unless you spend time together. I go to church on Sunday morning and that's great and wonderful. But until you get in community with one another outside these walls, you'll never be at a place where you can be vulnerable and grow. We need each other. There's a thing called Jahari Window, and I'm going to go through it quickly. It says this. Jahari Window says, I know and you know. Like there are things in my life that I know about and you know about. This is where most relationships are. They're acquaintances. You know, I know about you. I know what you're, you do. I maybe know your name. I know where you go to work. I know your family. I know, like I know them and everybody else in the room knows all of these details about me. That's an acquaintance and that's where a lot of us stay. It's safe. Nothing's revealed. You're going to draw conclusions. Hopefully I've given you enough information to draw good conclusions of me. And so you, that you think I'm a great guy so that when you're at the store and you say, oh, yeah, do you know James? Oh, he's a great guy because I haven't told you enough to say otherwise. We have acquaintances. But there's no growth. There's no life in that. Matthew 23, 5 says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Look at this. Woe to you, teachers of law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of dead and everything unclean. Like, there's no growth. There's no power in that relationship. Like, we have, there's no power in our relationship because we haven't spent time together. And, and you need to understand, Jesus didn't have a relationship with every single person when he walked on earth. Couldn't in the flesh. He had a close relationship with 12 But those 12 had relationships with others. We're in this ministry together, and it should be a culture of honor and relationships. Here's the second one. It's the mask. I don't know, but you, or I know, but you don't know. This is the place of secrets. Where I have secrets, I haven't told you, we're in relation, like we are an acquaintance. I have secrets, but I'm not telling you those secrets. So you don't know what they are, but I know what they are. And they're things, secret dreams, secret visions, secret hopes, secret things that are going on in my life, sometimes secret sins. There's secret things going on in me that you don't know because I'm not telling you. We, we have an acquaintance, and I know some things, but you don't know them. And so I can't really connect because you really don't know who I am. I'll always stay as sick as my secrets. 2 Corinthians 4 says it like this. We refuse to wear masks and play games. I know some of you are going to use that as a theology now. Why we don't wear masks. Rather, we keep, don't do that. That's out of context. It, it is. 
Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. You know, we need to be a place where we can be open and vulnerable. And we don't have to worry about people judging who we are. But this, this is where I'm at in my life. And people love them. They walk with them. You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Because honesty, you can't have a relationship until you're able to trust and have honesty. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born out of the moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. You might be shocked at what you find if you just confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here, here's the, the third one, blind spot. I don't know and you don't know. I don't know and you don't know. We had a staff pastor many years ago when I started ministry. He was a liar and we loved him. Now, how many of there's liars that you don't enjoy being around, but then there are liars that have that personality. They're just funny. And this was like, uh, he had a great personality, but everything out of his mouth was a lie. And you, you thought like, none of it's true, but you're so much fun to be around, right? He told the funniest stories and you knew it was all a lie. It's like, you should have been in Hollywood. You missed it. Right? I mean, he, he, he told just great stories, and he was so much fun, but no one could trust a word he said. And one time we're in a meeting, and this was after a number of years of being around him and him being on staff, and nobody at the church trusted him. Everybody knew he was a liar, right? Everybody knew he was a liar. And we're sitting in the meeting, and the lead pastor at the time says to him, um, you know you're a liar, right? And he goes, What? He really didn't know he was. And I'm sitting there and going, you're kidding right now. You know, I was the executive pastor, and I was a little stronger than our lead pastor. I'm like, like, seriously, dude, you got a lying problem. And the only reason you get away with it is because people love you. But it's the thing that's holding you back. He got so offended, he quit. Left. Because he thought we were out to hurt him. Can I tell you something? You have a blind spot. I'm no different than where he is. Like, I don't really believe there are things in those blind spots, but every one of you in this room can see them. And you have one too. And if you're not in relationship with people, you literally do not have anyone in your life that will point out the thing that's actually holding you back. I remember my wife, she, we, were in, we were in the car, and, and uh, she was telling me something in my blind spot. And I was like, no, it's not there. Because if it's in your blind spot, you don't know it's there. It's what you don't know. And she's saying it, and, and we're, in a, we're in an argument, and I'm just proving to her why she's wrong. And I was pretty frustrated and upset. My, somebody asked my daughter, Mackenzie, one time when she was small. She says, when your mom and dad argue who usually wins? And she goes, my dad. But when my mom wins, it's powerful. <laughs> and, and she, 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 she's telling me something and I don't like what she's saying. And I think she's out trying to destroy me. And literally I was so mad at her. I dropped her off the house and I said, I'm going somewhere else. I'm so mad. So I took off and, and, um, 
And, and, and then I'm talking to the Lord, and, and then finally I shut up. How many, you get to a point where you shut up. And the Lord just lets you do whatever you do. And then the Lord says to me, literally, as clear as could be, what would be her motivation to attack you? Which I couldn't answer that question. Like, how does it benefit her to put this wedge between us? And then the Lord said this to me after a long period of me trying to come up with an answer. He said, if she can't talk to you about your blind spots, who can? See, a blind spot by its very nature is something you can't see, but everyone else can. You need people in your life. You've been pushing them away because you don't want to have to deal with the things you don't know about. But God has put people in your life to deal with those places, to, to call those out so that you're able to trust them and let the Holy Spirit deal with something you can't see on your own. You were created to need people. See, God didn't create you to have success in life, success in life without people. He's the creator. He manufactured you. You will never succeed by yourself. It's not until you submit to the fact that people have to be in your life just to deal with the blind spots of your life. It's a question I'm asking you today. If they can't tell you what they are, who can? And if no one can, get content where you're at because you ain't going anywhere. You'll be in one relationship and out in another. Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You'll end up marrying someone who's not good for you, move to another job, buy that car that you, you can't afford, move away, make ungodly decisions because you're not listening to anyone, because you pushed them all out of your life. Here's the last one. I don't know and you don't know. Do you realize that there are so many things that I know nothing about in my life that God wants to do? And people around me don't know either. It's kind of like Job. His friends, Job's friends didn't know why he was going through it. And Job didn't know why he was going through it. But there is a place where you both don't know what God has in store. Where you come together in agreement and you agree together concerning everything in your life. You need one another to walk the adventure that we're on. We don't know what we don't know. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As sharp iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Colossians 2, 19 says, The whole body supported and held together by its ligaments, sinews, grow as God causes it to grow. That we grow into what we cannot see together. And without us, you can't grow. If you take a baby, and this is going to gross you out, you take a baby and you cut the baby's hand off and you put it in a box, the baby's body will grow into an adult, but the hand will shrivel up and turn black and die. The body will continue to grow. It will suffer loss because that hand would have been a blessing to it, but that hand will not grow outside of the body. That hand needs the body. The source is Christ in the body you need whether you like it or not whether you've been offended by the church you've been offended by people in the church get over it your life depends on it 
because the enemy is trying to literally offend you out of the church, wound you out of the church, hurt you out of the church, so that you shrivel up and die. You need this place. There is something sacred about the house of God. Denny said it best. He said, when when you talk to believers about what the greatest memories in their life, they're going to point to a place where God meant them. Do you know how we got the name Bethel's Rock? In Genesis. In Genesis, it says this. Jacob saw angels ascending and descending. and And he put up a stone and he said, surely... This is the house of God. And the Lord says, when we were in Michigan, the Lord said, you will go to that place and it will will be called Bethel's Rock. The house of God where the angels ascend and descend. I know because the Lord told me that this would be a place where you would come and you'd have some of your most powerful experiences with God in these altars. But we, we don't need altars anymore. We don't need altars anymore. We don't need places anymore because God's not doing that anymore. God's not doing that. So we live lives powerless because we don't have moments and places because I don't need to be in a place. I don't need to be at first week. I don't need a whole week of that, but I'll tell you the people who were there had a powerful moment with God. They had a powerful experience. Every experience missed is an opportunity where God could have met. I don't need to go. I got other things that are more important. God wants to do something in your life. The choice we make is where where it's listed on our priority list. Do we need it? How many say, I I need that in my life? I'm going to have Pastor Zach come up here. If you believe I need that, will you stand? Everybody stand. Everybody stand. You're saying, God, I I hear you. I need people in this room. You know, if you're to say, what would be the response, Pastor, you'd want from this message? Can Can I give you this? Here's my response. One, that if you have something against someone else in this room, that you graciously go up to them and say, you know what? I have held something against you, and I'm sorry. Do not use it as an opportunity, as a knife. To you said this to me, you dirty rat, and I'm going to forgive you because I've told to do that. No, no, don't, don't do that because that's not the right heart, and it'll never change. Because the reality is every one of us in here have said and done something that has been so offensive to somebody else that there could be someone standing in our face saying the same thing with the same grace you would hope someone would come to you. You give that and extend it to someone else. And you say, you know what? I'm not getting over this thing, and so I need to, and so I'm coming to you to say, I'm, I, I love you. And our relationship is more important than what was said in that moment. If you stop and think about it, the only reason what they said or did was so bad is because you cared about them. That's why it hurts so bad. And you were hurt because you felt like they didn't return it the way you feel it toward them. And yet the wound is keeping you from the relationship you wanted with them. Does that make sense? Isn't it? It's, just, it's not even logical. It's not even logical. If they're that important to you, isn't it time? Isn't it time? Isn't it time? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that in this moment, 
you begin to work in the heart of every person in this room, that you do something extraordinary that only you can do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.